This is iUniverse Radio, brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is your opportunity to hear firsthand from authors about their new books. It's an in-depth discussion about the author's passion about the development of his or her story in their own words. It's an inside look into the characters and the plot and how the story all came together. Here is iUniverse Radio. Greetings for iUniverse. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book has a provocative title, and I think the author probably is wanting us to think a little bit, the title of which is Someone Needs to Tell the Truth. And joining me is the author, Michael J. Hall. Welcome, sir, to the program. Thank you. This uh, would be looked at perhaps as a provocative title uh, because of the content. Tell a little of your background, uh, what you have been doing in life besides being an author, and why this book got written. I started out as a, um, well, I'm a Christian science nurse, nursing in the nursing field. But basically, it's my religion. I'm a Christian scientist. Hmm. And um, as a Christian scientist... In my work, we learn to love, 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 reach out to humanity. The reason I wrote the book is because of my sensitivity of what's going on in our world today. In fact, I think that in the book, it points out, which I'd like to share is Absolutely. share it with you. Yes. Hold on just a second here. The reason for writing this paper was that of my deep concern about the current events, the current events happening in the United States and around the world. This message aspires to revitalize the spirit of religious beliefs by conveying, by conveying the importance of getting back to God. That was basically my uh, uh, motive and reason for writing. But I also wrote in the book... I understand that this sensitive subject matter is controversial regarding personal, religious, and political beliefs. However, the bravery of one's moral courage to voice the truth in the history of this country and around the world has always been contentious where the public is concerned. There has always been a conflict throughout the ages regarding change for new causes about achievers that motivate they demanded a moral revolution in society. Individuals such like Christ Jesus, Mary Baker Eddy, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., to name three individuals among so many more unsung heroes, hmm. whose life role models and sacrifice made a tremendous moral difference in our world. They were controversial figures, yet they made a great impression upon humanity. The author is by no means comparing himself to these wonderful leaders. On the contrary, the author's position in this commentary is to encourage this reality that we should be following these God-anointed leaders. And you deal with, uh, obviously, very controversial subjects, uh, or ones that can be flashpoints in some people's emotions. You grew up in New Jersey, uh, I'm sure had some, some uh, not only conflict, but also some challenges as a young adult. 
And uh, yet you, uh, because of your foundations, uh, either in faith or family, uh, not only survived, but have, have thrived to some degree. And uh, Mike, uh, yep. in, in your book, uh, I think you deal, as I mentioned, with many t- controversial subjects. One that's really hot in the newspapers and in politics right now is defunding the police. What are your opinions about that? Even though my book covers this question extensively, you can't toss the baby out with the water. All right. Furthermore, yes, there are political crises in our precincts across the country. In degrees, that's a problem in all businesses. But the magnitude of immorality in our nation is much greater. So we need our police officers, for sure. Absolutely. Uh, that's certainly one that I agree with, and I think many of my listeners will also agree with. Your book is not preachy. I, I think it's more encouragement. Oh, no, no, no. Yes. Well, it's more encouraging. Yes. Because, in fact, in my uh, 9-11, which is the basis, basically, for this book, 9-11 was our wake-up call, I encourage people to get back to their own religions, study them and practice them. The fact is that we shouldn't judge a religion by its people, but by the doctrine itself. Mm-hmm. This is what I pointed out. It's very sad that we can't judge people by the religions because of the volume of hypocrisy. And so, which has a lot to do with the, the uh, erosion of morality in our lives, in the country, and in the lives of most of the Americans. You hear people say, uh, the religious individuals say, do as I say, but not as I do. <laughs> Happening all over. Mm-hmm. There you go. And it's no wonder that people become atheistic. I believe that the only reason why we have most, why we have atheism in the world, is because they are just asking for proof. Mm-hmm. And they often say that a lot of people who um, say that they believe in God, the atheists call them delusional, and in a sense, they're correct. Uh-huh. I could believe in Harvard, but it doesn't make me a graduate of Harvard. Right. Neither will it get me into Harvard. People say they believe in God. Belief alone means mesmerism. It's not understanding. So it is delusional. I think that the atheists will get to the kingdom of heaven before they will, (laughs) simply because they express the greatest virtues. They're faithful to their beliefs. They're honest. We as Christians were faithful to our beliefs and follow the rules. This would be a different world. I was just going to comment for my listeners. Uh, this is uh, all included in a uh, only a 50-page uh, thesis, if I can describe it that way. 41. 41, 41 pages of actual actual content. Yeah, How long did it take, Mike, to complete this? Oh, not long at all. In fact, um, I've been thinking about it a long time, but not long at all to compose it. But I wanted to make it concise and brief. In fact, my website is important because it expounds on it. I could write a whole couple books on one paragraph in this mm. in this book. So I mean, it's like concentrate, like the uh, what is it, the, uh, the detergent we buy today. You don't need as much <laughs> because it goes a long way. I can relate to that. So you can relate. We would tie anything the liquid detergent. You don't have to uh, put much in it at all. But the point is, is that um, it covers at least eighteen the eighteen topics in this little book. It's amazing. Wow. And, but it leaves a lot to the... Um, one thing about metaphysics, which is so interesting, it transcends, of course, we know the physical. The words are just a map. The spirit of... When you really understand something, the word is a map. The words are just a map. You get in the car and go, and then you really understand what's being said. 
So I, this is a thing, too. The practical act, aspect is, is essential. It's not what we know. It's not what we understand. It's what we're doing. And then people wonder why they have problems. The fact is, is that we have to put our money where our mouth is. You have included personal, not personal stories, but stories, uh, actual stories. Uh, Pat Lee was one of them that you uh, you account uh, of her her concerns and uh, problems when writing took place in her neighborhood and how she uh, dealt with that. You deal with the police and uh, their responses to the defunding movement. Um, do you feel like the uh, reader is going to come away from this maybe a little more positive in their outlook of life and not so fear-driven? Yes. The idea is to ground them. Good. Because of the uh, the density of the fog, as a consequence of the erosion of morality, even what seems to be good seems to be falling through the fingers. doesn't make any sense anymore. We've gotten away from, you know, when I was growing up, as I wrote in a book, there was a different mindset in this country. We had problems. You know, my dad wouldn't let us watch The Monsters, the TV show. Really? By today's standard, that's a PG. <laughs> or the maybe... Monsters wasn't bad. You know, they were just trying to fit into society. That was the joke. Yeah. Today's monster, they're out killing each other. I can't, I'll be diplomatic here. And all, I, I mean, the stuff that they're doing these days is, is what was considered unthinkable in our time, which is considered normal today. Right, including the music and uh, music industry. Everything, yeah. across everything. the board. Mm. In our churches, in our schools. Not to mention the government, but the government is a reflection of the consciousness of the country. Mm-hmm. We can't blame it on the government. What did John, in my book I wrote, what did John F. Kennedy say? Ask not what, let me look and see if I can find it. What your country can do for you, yep. ask what you can do for your country. Right, absolutely. Yeah, we don't see right. that anymore. Uh, we're seeing more, what can, no, they, it, yeah. what, what can the government do for me? Right, it seems to be reversed. Right. Everything. We're living in challenging times for sure, and I appreciate the fact that you are bold enough to address some very uh, controversial issues in some people's mind, and yet you approach them with uh, honesty and uh, with a very straightforward approach that should not be offensive to anybody that's a thinker, and uh, should be inspirational right. to others who want to make a difference in their world. This is a this is a great uh, a great effort, and again, under fifty pages, so it's not a difficult read for uh, the the listener. Uh, you can get a copy of it by looking for the title. Someone. Needs to tell the truth, and the author, Michael J. Hall. Michael, where can my listeners get a copy of this? Go online. It's placed on all the major websites. Fabulous. All of them. Fabulous. Go into your search box, your search box or whatever, and type in uh, the title and my name. It'll come up. Excellent. My website, and now Google's had a wonderful spread on the book, as well as uh, along with my web. My website, you can go right onto the website. But you can order it pretty much anywhere. It's in Barnes and Nobles, eBay, Amazon, Apple. It's even on, you can even just buy the, uh, what is it, the e-book they call it? Yes, the e-book. But either way, it's everywhere. Downloadable, they can also request it from their local bookseller if they can't find it online or don't have uh, a lot oh, yeah, of access. Because they, they, right, because they, right, right. It comes immediately uh, if you go online. Beautiful. So, um, and even with Barnes and Nobles, they don't have it on the. Sh it's not on the shelf. 
they would have they they would order it for you. Absolutely. You mentioned a website. What is yeah. the uh, location of that? What's the address there? It's www.bookbymichaelhall.com. Fabulous. And Michael is spelled just like it's supposed to be spelled, M-I-C-H-A-E-L, and the middle initial J, right. last H- name Hall. Actually, you don't need the J in the, in the address for the website. No, not for it's the website. www.bookbymichaelhall.com. Fabulous. I appreciate your courage and also the thought-provoking topic that you've addressed in a very uh, fine and uh, even-handed manner. I, I appreciate the, the ability that you have to uh, tackle some very difficult societal questions and uh, give us something to think about. Thank you for joining me today and sharing your story. Thank you. My pleasure. Again, the title of the book, Someone Needs to Tell the Truth, the author, Michael J. Hall for iUniverse. This is Jay Douglas Barker. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Congratulations on getting your book published. The effort you put into your work is truly commendable. But what's next? What will happen to all the knowledge you have worked so hard to acquire to produce your book? Here at Toginet Radio, we can provide you a platform to keep your knowledge working for you through the power of podcasts. The subjects our podcasts cover are as varied as the grains of sand on a beach. From life coaching, to military resources, to business success, even to the paranormal. We have a place for everyone. To get started on your next step, call Scott at 903-787-5880 or email him at Scott at toginetradio.com. That's S-C-O-T-T at T-O-G-I-N-E-T-R-A-D-I-O dot com. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio. Greetings for iUniverse. This is J. Douglas Barker. Joining me from Florida is the author of a book titled Green Walls and Brown Doors. Welcome, Diane Casey. Diane, thank you for joining me today. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. A very colorful book. It really is a personal journey that you deal with in this book and one that uh, maybe Mm -hmm. most of us can't relate to, but share with my audience why this book got written and a little of your background. Okay. That I dedicated this book to the survivors and overcomers who fight to manage their mental health symptoms and to um, struggle to stay out of mental health facilities. The undesirable falls, getting back up, never letting go of hope, and the desire to see what is around the next corner. Good. For the moment you realize it's just you and Jesus and tender companionship. For me, the green walls and brown doors defined who I was. Still, I knew there was something better waiting me. And you entered hospital care, or at least, uh, I don't know what I would call it, protective care, or in in hospice uh, situation at a very young age, if I understand your journey. Yes. I was 12 years old and admitted to the state hospital. At one point, a lobotomy was talked about to my parents, and they said no. Wow. I was there until I was 17. Mm. 
And during that time, I was in a lot of seclusion rooms. It was a, a very terrible place. I mean, it was not validating at all. And from there, I went to a cult down south where they would do terrible things to me. I, I don't even really want to get into it. If you want to read the book, you could find out what happened. Yes. But I finally got away from there at age 21 and went back into the state hospital again. But it was different. I had moved down to Florida. My husband passed away. Mm. And I moved to Florida. I ended up at the Florida State Hospital where they knew how to validate their patients. And that really made a big difference in my life. And then I was discharged to a nursing home. And at this nursing home, we had a brilliant doctor who put me on Zyprexa, and I never looked back since then. You, it's you, been a life changer. You, you sound uh, very fine at this point in life. The journey mm-hmm. has been tough, though. I, I uh, By looking at your book, uh, it's only 82 pages, but it is a very mm-hmm. gripping story of, uh, of your journey. The... Uh, purpose of writing this what did you want to achieve by by telling the uh, sometimes horrific details of your life well first of all i'd like to say never lose hope Hmm. hope is just not one word by itself it's courage spirituality and determination it's the gift of sweetness and the essence of life never give up hope Sounds like a good deal to me. Sounds like a great bit of encouragement. Now, (laughs) in in this book, your father, tell a little of of how that impacted your early life. Oh, you never knew when the next foot, next shoe would drop. Mm. You just, you know, in the mornings it would be a good morning, and by night we'd be in terror. It was very hard, very hard to go through. I would have to be told to get my mother out of the closet who had had a butcher knife. Oh, boy. And then my father said, I'm going to put my hand in the gas stove if you don't get your mother out of the closet. And I was only four years old. Oh, my. <laughs> and your dad your dad had some sub- substance abuse uh, issues as well. Yes. Yes, alcoholism. Alcoholism. I have had mm-hmm. some family members who have been impacted by that. My personal stance on it is uh, don't touch it, stay away from it. Uh, even though it may mm-hmm. be a legal substance, it is very, very dangerous. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and it impacted your early life. And uh, was it part of the reason that you were e- put into a state hospital at 12? Well, the important thing is, is that most families... Well, I shouldn't say most families, but families in most cases have the emotional tools to help their children to the milestones of their growth. Right. Others do not have those emotional tools. And with each milestone, I had to face it alone. When I went from my adolescence, um, my childhood to adolescence, I was deficient in many ways. Mm. And I... I, I ended up at the state hospital. I, I wanted to get out of that house, that environment. So I chose the state hospital over home. You mentioned uh, a marriage. Was that your personal marriage that you were talking about? Oh, yes. Yes. Huh. My husband, Tim, was a wonderful man, a great father. And at 50, he passed away. Ouch. 
Well, that's a sad, mm-hmm. sad bit of news. But e- e- the important part, I think, of your story is that there's still hope, and uh, you are still grasping mm-hmm. and holding on to that. Yes, I am, and I also believe that validation is a powerful tool. Because validation will lift you up when you can't get up by yourself. When people tell you what a great job you're doing, you're a good person, they're planting a seed in you. So someday, hopefully, you'll be able to tell yourself what a great person you are. Very important encouragement. I know even, uh, you know, as my life was fairly, I guess, standard, uh, middle, middle, uh, middle American, middle Canadian, actually, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, upbringing, <laughs> Uh, I still have issues, you know. I, I think it's just the human nature. We we have a tendency mm-hmm. to look at ourselves and are a little too critical. And having a positive environment, which you have uh, migrated to, and having some uh, good counseling, has certainly had a positive impact on your life. Mm-hmm. Yes, I've gone on to get two college degrees. I never spent a day in a high school high school classroom because I was at the hospital. But I went on, got my GED and two college degrees, and for 15 years I was an executive director of a consumer-run facility. Wow. That's amazing. Mm. That's an amazing testimonial to your grit, determination, and uh, mm-hmm. also some good, some good uh, steerage by somebody. Somebody got on, right. in your corner and, and uh, pushed you in the right direction. Yes. Yes, they did. There were a lot of people on my side rooting for me. Beautiful. And that really made a difference. That validated me. Well, you have, uh, again, 52 pages, uh, and it tells your life story, and uh, as you've described it, is mm-hmm. one from uh, from uh, desperation to determination to uh, success. Mm-hmm. How long did it take, besides your life you know, experiences, Diane, how long did it take to complete this, and uh, was it a difficult process for you? Well, I went into um, college at age 27. I graduated four years later. And I never really could keep a job, and I couldn't understand why. And that's the nature of of the bipolar illness. Um, And um, I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought. I get distracted. Oh, that's okay. I get distracted Um, as well. Okay, and then um, I met my husband. I, a little story about that. Do I have time? Oh, abs- for you, yes. Okay, thank you. I walked into a Shell gas station wanting a second-time uh, job to ag- augment my first job. Hmm. And there was a man standing behind the counter when I first saw him, hot fluttered. <laughs> and I said, oh, for a good ones are always taken. And he told me afterwards... That he took out my job application to see if I was single. Really? Well, that was it. That was definitely love at first sight. And we just kept loving each other for for as long as he lived. Wow. And we had a wonderful son. That's, so that, there's that, a part it, of Tim in him. It's a it's a positive uh, outcome for sure, what you've described, mm-hmm. even though it was not what we would describe a, a perfect environment necessarily, or the outcome was not as perhaps we would have chosen it if we'd written it. Mm-hmm. It still is a positive book uh, in the 52 pages. You have uh, talked about your parents' uh, hospital. You talked about being involved in the cult. How long were you involved in a cult uh, situation? Well, I was there from the age of 17 to 21. 17 to 21. Wow. 
So four, four years. years. Is is uh, just uh, as a matter of curiosity, is that cult still in existence, or is it? Um, it's still in existence, but wow. the whole outlook has changed. Mm. They no longer do the things that they used to do to me. Um, they don't do that to anybody anymore. And there's more love with each other and respect for one another that they didn't have before. I never experienced that until I went down to visit, and it was so different. Incredible. And you've uh, talked mm-hmm. about the, the, the terrible things that did transpire while you were involved in a relationship in that, uh, that cult scenario. Mm-hmm. You've talked yeah. about hospital. You've talked about your parents. Is there anything that is going to shock the reader, or is this a book that will inspire anybody who picks it up? I think it would inspire anyone who picks it up. And, you know, as you read, if you keep in the back of your mind that knowledge is power, the more informed you are, the better you can explain yourself. Do the study. Read about your diagnosis. Read about um, what is out there available to you so you can check that out. But you'll be able to talk with your doctor, uh, I think, more frankly. Yes. You talk about uh, inspiration from a spiritual standpoint and a faith foundation also in your book. How important is that to mm-hmm. to you, and uh, do you think the reader will uh, also embrace uh, your ideas? I believe they will, because I only mentioned it a couple of times, but yes, I'm very spiritual. My life is based on the Lord, and and I mentioned in tender companionship with him. Um, He was the light that I had on my path to find my way out. So in turn, I took on the role of holding the light so other mental health survivors could get out of their hard times. And that was a privilege for me. It really was. Inspirational book. It will tug at your heartstrings, I guess, is the best way to to, uh, describe this. The title of which Mm -hmm. is Green Walls and Brown Doors. My author, who has joined me from Florida... Florida is Diane Casey, C-A-S-E-Y. Diane, where do we get copies of your book? It's all over. It's on Amazon. It's on eBay. It's at Barnes & Nobles. I even saw it on Target. Wow. If you Google it, um, it'll take you to all different places. Exceptional. Is there more stories to come, or is this kind of uh, the fulfillment of uh, a, a lifelong dream? <laughs> not sure. I'm thinking about it. People are saying I need to write a sequel and would be life after uh, Green Walls and Brown Doors, but I don't know if there will be. I'm not sure. We'll look forward to it if it does take place. Diane is spelled with an E, D-I-A-N-E, last name Casey, C-A-S-E-Y. The title of the book again is Green Walls and Brown Doors, an inspiring journey Uh, told in 52 pages. Diane, thank you again for joining me today and sharing your personal story. My pleasure. For iUniverse, this is Jay Douglas Barker. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages.
It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. When your focus is to lose weight or maintain your present weight, exercising effectively to burn the most calories is crucial. You want to give yourself every advantage to burn as many calories as possible. One good tip is to do your strength training exercises standing up so you can keep your heart rate up. Another tip is to perform multi-joint exercises when you can. For example, as you're doing a forward lunge, add bicep curls while you're coming up from the lunge. Another example is to execute a wide squat. And as you're coming up from the squat, perform a shoulder press. By doing these multi-joint exercises, you're putting more demands on your body, keeping your heart rate up, and working more muscles at the same time. The goal is to burn the most calories during that workout. I'm Annette Hammond. To hear other fitness and weight loss tips, visit our website at AnnetteHammond.com. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio. Greetings for iUniverse. This is Jay Douglas Barker. The book today is titled Personal Meaning Demystified. And joining me is a prolific author of at least five books that I'm aware of or that have been made aware of, Dr. Gerald Mindens. Welcome, sir, to the program. Thank you. You are residing in the Dallas, Texas area and uh, have a rather extensive portfolio of achievements in your life. And this book on personal meaning certainly should be of interest to many people. Why did you write it? And tell a little of your background and how this came to be put into print. All right. Well, um, I have what you might call dual careers. I'm a, a minister in the Presbyterian tradition after I served in the Air Force during the Korean War, and then I served close to Canada in Minneapolis at churches. And during that time, I started giving messages that dealt with the meaning of life. Mm. And how do we discover personal meaning? I can summarize that in a few sentences, but um, if that's preferable, I'll, I'll go ahead. That would be fine, sir. Uh, the, the, uh, the obvious premise is uh, one that I think everyone can identify with. The older I get, the more I reflect on what I might have done and how that life uh, will have meaning for me and for my family and for my children and grandchildren and, and so on. Yes, yes. Well, I summarize my, my primary contributions that we find meaning when we are important to someone who is important to us. Beautiful. Um, and so it is in relationships that the most powerful sense of meaning occurs. Um, we become important to our parents and family. Um, we have a role whereby we uh, interact with our classmates as young people. And then when 
I made my affirmations as a Christian, it was apparent, and that this is a very basic foundation, that we find ultimate meaning when we discover that we are important to God. Mm. And in that process, uh, we share our sources of meaning from other persons and from our God. So the ultimate roots are in a divine relationship, and the more immediate earthly connections are how we relate to family, friends, spouses, children, colleagues. Um, And I've discovered this has significance in a number of cultures. So I will share a little of that as we go along. Beautiful. Uh, You have uh, had interaction with uh, many different uh, cultures, as you have just alluded to, uh, overseas and around the world. Uh, what yes. what did you discover as far as, and you, you have mentioned spiritual connections, of course, uh, from a uh, Judeo-Christian ethic standpoint. There are also the human spiritual connections as well. Um, the spiritual connection with a faith-based, at least from what I am discovering from our conversation, is the most important and meaningful to those uh, you have uh, reached through your ministry and also through your books and writings. Yes, I, 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 I affirm that. So uh, the relationships, and both as a uh, minister and as a psychologist, I have dealt with many, many people who discover, as they are sometimes struggling with life, that their relationships are the key ingredient. And so I encourage people who are seeking for purpose in life uh, to find relationships, uh, pursue a career that helps them express their their most uh, valued talents. And then I have had the privilege of being invited abroad um, in, in ways that have enriched. Let me give you examples. Um, this was back in the 1980s. Yes. I had been studying on my brief sabbatical leaves <clears throat> Jungian psychology in Zurich, Switzerland. And I started writing about personal meaning. I also started writing about why do we make enemies and have difficulty letting them go? Now, this led to some presentations in the Texas and Oklahoma, Arkansas, Southwest region. Um, I had a sabbatical at the Center for Theology and Public Policy in Washington, D.C., in which I had contact with colleagues who were also wrestling with these kind of issues. And in 1984, I was invited to join a group of of people from this country and Canada to go to the Soviet Union. Now, you're old enough to recall there were 
very, very tough relationships between Soviet Union and America. Yes. So um, we were invited in 1984 to plan... um, how to celebrate their thousandth anniversary of Christendom. Um, Prince Vladimir had uh, pursued this in 988 when his mother, as a young prince, told him, um, son, uh, if you're going to become a ruler in this part of the world, you have to have a religion. Mm-hmm. So I I don't know if you're aware, he, before he moved to north of Moscow from the Ukraine, he was part of what is called the Ruse, R-U-S, and he visited Constantinople, and he found three religions there that all had different appeals. Mm-hmm. Uh, one was the Orthodox tradition that had really a powerful type of impact on him in Constantinople. And then he learned of the Jewish tradition and discovered, wow, they really had a sense of, of law. And he knew that would be important for an empire that he would later head. And he also became aware of the Christian tradition, because in Constantinople we had the combination of Orthodox and Catholic. Well, he established his empire in north of Moscow. It's called Zuzdo Vladimir. That's the old capital before Moscow became the capital uh, oh, in about the 1500s. Fascinating. So our delegation from this country were treated very well by the government of the Soviet Union and the Russian Orthodox Church. And I'll I'll share one item. I was in the Kremlin with the group twice, once to an opera. (laughs) But the second time was the press of the Soviet Union wanted to have a session with our delegation. And while we were meeting, now these five correspondents knew our country as well as any of us did. And I mentioned my current interest that I was writing about. Why do we make enemies and have difficulty letting them go? And immediately they focused on my um, uh, on myself with cameras and wanted to hear a, a degree more and I elaborated that and I have expounded it in one of my books that I've written um, by Manipal University in India uh, well my friend uh, they realized that this enemy relationship uh, I said it has in my understanding, six functions. And these functions are served by making an enemy. 
And they really uh, tagged onto that, and my photo appeared in the front page of the Moscow News the next morning. Now, it was the Moscow News is not a big newspaper in many, but it, it was an attention getter. Mm-hmm. So after that, I was invited for the delegation that would go in 1986 to make the final preparations for the thousandth year anniversary in 1988. Wow. I mean, that really had a focus, and I had already started to write about the source, the, how we find the source of meaning in our lives. Beautiful. Beautiful. Okay. Then in May of 1988, no, excuse me, 1986, I joined a group planning. We met in New York City, uh, just north of New York City. At, I think it's called Vladimir Seminary. And I might have that name just a little wrong. Uh, and then I, I had a crisis. My first wife had become very ill over a period of, oh, six previous years. We had two children um, born in Iowa and Minneapolis, and she was very supportive that I take these trips. But when she got very ill, I had to cancel. I told my colleagues, I've got responsibilities, so I did not make that second trip to the Soviet Union in 1986. And it was wise in terms of family responsibilities, because she died in 1988, hmm. the very month we would have been going to Moscow. Incredible. So uh, that gave me deeper insight into how I had known this first wife since we were uh, children in grade school. And she was very capable. She became a teacher. She had been a star basketball player. Wow. <laughs> Scored 29 points at a national championship contest with the best team in Texas. Amazing. So back in those days, girls basketball was played in Iowa and Texas with great vigor. <laughs> I, so, think, I think I it still is. Like, I think it still is. It still is. I That's think so, right. yes, sir. And I see the issues that we face today are being addressed even better in some of the uh, racial discrimination that has been so deep within our roots. I'm currently studying with a group, uh, the book called Cast. I don't know if you're familiar with it. I'm not familiar with it. It's written by a, a young woman who uh, is originally from India, but came to this country and she saw 
where the caste system of India actually had its roots in the United States. Really? Mm. Um, yes, this is a profound um, type of insight that we haven't faced the discrimination that has been posed in which uh, black slaves were dominated, brought out of Africa, and exploited. Uh, and it's not until old Martin Luther King, who went to, in his experiences, went to get acquainted with Mahatma Gandhi, uh, that he was able to express this in really challenging terminology. Now, I've been invited to Mahatma Gandhi University in India to teach. Uh, that was hmm, 50 years later, after wow. King had been there. Incredible. You have a fascinating history for sure, and your insight in the 128 pages that you have penned, I will describe it as poetry. Is that the way you look at uh, the contents of your book? And uh, do you consider it poetry, or how do, you, how do you describe it? Yes. Well, here's what's occurred. I did professional writing when I was teaching and practicing psychology uh, and as a as an academic you are um, expected to write so I wrote uh, journal articles I, I wrote um, hundreds of sermons that I would deliver including <laughs> some in Tyler really um, and in, in this process, I wrote two books. Uh, I was invited after Mahatma Gandhi University to another university called Manipal University in um, Karnataka. That's along the West Bank of India. So I have two books in prose that they have published. Um, and uh, it was a, a major experience to teach in India. I had been invited. Now, I'll mention this. I had joined the Organizational Development Institute. That's a global organization. And our first first time after my wife first wife died, I went, I had a sabbatical, and we went to China. And I presented a paper for this organization at Hanzhou University in China. And I was immediately invited to come and teach teamwork at this university. Well, as a widower, I I agreed that I, I could do it. And then Tiananmen Square violence broke out, and it had to be canceled by Beijing. Mm. 
Well, I've also had invitations to, before I went to teach in India, this organization had another world conference. It was to be held uh, not in Vienna, but at an adjoining country in Eastern Europe that was part of the split off from the Soviet Union. And we met in Slovenia, and I was invited to come and teach at Maribor, uh, no, not Maribor, in Ljubljana University in Slovenia. Mm-hmm. But then Yugoslavia broke up into individual states, and that was canceled. Well, we went on to Poland to do consulting with business professionals. Um, I had originally, out of college, gone with management team of Bell Telephone. So I had undergraduate uh, background in economics and management. And we had an excellent time briefing young Polish business people. The older ones had been so conditioned by the Soviet Union that the younger ones who could not speak English, but they could understand translations very rapidly. And so among the things, I'm a Rotarian of Rotary International. Yes. To help them develop um, worldwide relations, we recommended the development of Rotary clubs in Warsaw. Well, <laughs> this led two years later that I was invited to teach at Warsaw University. It's amazing. But I declined that. Oh. I, I had too much to do. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I'm sharing this because cro I taught cross-cultural psychology at um, undergraduate and graduate level. And these were very concrete experiences. And it seems, at least from our conversation, you still are a an individual that loves to learn and loves to look toward the future and have personal growth in your own experience that you share with others when you have the opportunity. This book is 128 pages, and I will describe the poetry as a somewhat, a, somewhat a blend of prose and poetry. It's not just religious in its foundation for those who, who might want to look at it as a reading uh, a book to add to their library. It has uh, reflective uh, uh, themes throughout it, and uh, some are, are are unique in that they deal with uh, you know marriage. They deal with life and uh, and uh, with the end of life, as uh, some of us are uh, yes. perhaps uh, facing. 
uh, infants and capacity to absorb, you, you even deal with that. So there's a lot of interesting yeah. material that uh, you share in your book of 128 pages. This is different from most that I have seen in the marketplace, and I think it would be fascinating and certainly reflective to read it and to uh, contemplate its content. Uh, where do we get copies of your book, Doctor? What was it? Did you say copy? Yeah, where, where, where can my listeners get, buy a, a copy of your book? Well, uh, it's not uh, on the market. It is, I would just, just inform that it's being reviewed at a London book, book review fair. Uh, in London, mm, this this season, fabulous. And uh, yes, it is a briefer. It's a shorter of my books, uh, and <clears throat> I invested, yeah, my experiences into it. And as you see, I also have addressed the crisis that many people face when they get depressed, when they entertain suicide, hmm. and how they might discover that there are roots deeper than their own personal experiences. Uh, and so I, I try to connect that, and it's happening today. Um, I'm a veteran, as you know. Yes. And many veterans have I, I've had a role in helping um, Veterans for Peace. That's a national organization. It's mostly of Vietnam veterans. Um, and what what happens with persons that are are depressed or discouraged? They need to connect with people very hard to do when they feel that badly. So hopefully, at times, a book source can be uh, a way to connect if they'll read it. Absolutely. A great bit of advice. And with over 50 years of uh, practicing as a psychologist, higher education minister in the United Presbyterian Church, and a wealth of personal contacts you've made worldwide in your ministry and also in your vocation and avocations. Uh, I appreciate what you have done yeah. and accomplished in uh, working with students and uh, working with the military, and also for sharing your insight in this book titled Personal Meaning Demystified. And I will advise yeah. my, my listeners, you can, I'm sure, find this on uh, Amazon.com or on the Internet if you do a search under the yeah. author's name, Gerald Mindens, M-I-D-D-E-N-T-S, Dr. Mindens has been my guest. Thank you, sir, for sharing your insight and your story. Yes, and I have five, well, there will be six more current books. I just have published a book called Sports and Religions Together. So watch for that. <laughs> it may show up. 
That that's on Amazon. That sounds like a great read, also for uh, sports enthusiasts or those that uh, are maybe curious about the game of or uh, about sports and how how it all blends together. Dr. Middens, thank you for sharing your story and your life with us today, and hopefully we'll get to visit again in the future. Hopefully, yes. All right, sir. Thank you. My pleasure for iUniverse. This is Jay Douglas Barker. iUniverse Radio is brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is produced by TogiNet Radio. Radio with a cutting edge.